Welcome to the Mindful Career Transitions Podcast. This is the show for you if you've had success in your current career, yet you feel like there must be a more fulfilling way to spend your day. Listen in as we share wisdom, career change tips, and expertise on making a mindful transition to a fulfilling and meaningful career. Here's your host, Liesl Teversham. And welcome, everybody. It's so great to speak with you again today to welcome our listeners to this conversation. And I'm really excited to introduce you to a guest all the way from the U.S. today. Um, We're going to have a wonderful conversation. She's made some of her own career transitions. And she also works with people who want to make that career transition and help them to find joy, ease and abundance in their careers where they are working. So let me share with you a little bit about our wonderful guest. Her name is Susan Bernstein and she's a doctor. Dr. Susan Bernstein is an executive coach and career advisor who specializes in guiding smart, highly accomplished professionals who are also emotionally sensitive to powerfully boost their resilience and their results. Her clients make sensational shifts using the pioneering mind-body-spirit paradigms and processes that she's evolved over the past 15 years. She combines no-nonsense, pragmatic business guidance with deeply sensitive skill in the psychology of transitions to guide her clients through the often tumultuous landscapes of transitions, including career change, promotions, and workplace conflicts. She generously shares guidance through her popular Sensational Shift blog, live online events, and speaking at venues, including the Women in Leadership Conference, Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, and Fortune 100 companies. Susan is a veteran of companies, including Intel and Accenture. She earned her MBA at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. I hope I'm doing, I'm saying all the right words, Susan. It's, it's, it's very interesting for me because I'm not from uh, the US. And uh, she earned both her master's and PhD degrees in somatic psychology from the Chicago School of Psychology's Santa Barbara campus. And you can connect with Susan at her website, sensationalshift.com. And we'll repeat that website for you towards the end. Welcome, Susan. What a privilege for me to speak with you. It's likewise, Liesl. Thank you so much. And you said everything just perfectly. Oh, well, because some of these words sounded a little bit uh, more Dutch, like Haas, uh, the Haas School (laughs) of Business. And I was, yeah, so I wasn't sure if, if that, you know, am, am I in, in, in Holland <laughs> or in the U.S.? <laughs> anyway, it is such a privilege to welcome you. And um, I'd like to dive right in and invite you to share a little bit about your journey to get from where you were to where you are and working with career transitions and all these powerful things like emotionally sensitive people in their workplace, helping them to boost resilience and their results. Mm, Happy to talk about that. Um, I think I'll start with when I finished business school at Berkeley, UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. um, I, I had originally gone to business school thinking I was going to change the world of HR and uh, during my time at business school, I was wooed or courted by the management consulting firms and wound up joining Accenture. I don't regret joining Accenture, but at the time, the man who I was dating said to me, 
you're going to do management consulting? And I said, well, yeah, of course, I, I'm good at that. And he said, how do you know? You haven't done it yet. Um, but he also said, you know, you're so much more expressive. You're so much more uh, vibrant. And you're also way more right-brained than left-brained. But I had to prove it to myself. So I went into that world and I mostly did healthcare strategy for large corporations, helping them make decisions about where should we open new clinics or what um, diagnostic lines should we add, those kinds of things. And at one point, I was working on a particular client project down in Southern California. I live in Northern California. And I was working two 100-hour work weeks back-to-back, which wasn't that uncommon in consulting. It was sort of like the um, the macho thing was to tell people how many hours you'd worked. And you definitely didn't want to say less than 60 because, you know, that wasn't cool. And I, But I was so exhausted and so confused and so overwhelmed. The project was already really difficult for me to do. I was having to diagram processes to help this company change their processes. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was working too many hours. There was so much politics on the project. So I, uh, I remember it was a particular Thursday and I went, I took the elevator up to the fifth floor of this building to go make a presentation to a bunch of senior executives. I opened my laptop. I'm showing PowerPoint. I remember showing the first slide, but I don't know what happened between showing the first slide and waking up on the floor, looking up with a ton of people hovering over me. I had passed out um, from just sheer exhaustion. And in that moment when I came to and regained consciousness, I realized I wasn't listening to my body at all. And fortunately, I was given a month off of work for medical leave. And during that time, one of the places that I went was to the Institute for Heart Math. It's a funny name, but basically what they study is the resonance of the heart. And I learned to get back in touch with my heart and then over time with the rest of my body. And then in 2001, I had left consulting two years later, was working for a startup in online learning. And in 2001, my, in five weeks, my life went completely crazy. I, my marriage fell apart. I, uh, my father had a traumatic brain injury that thankfully he survived. I had two surgeries. I was, and I was laid off from my job all in five weeks. And I couldn't think straight. I could not figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, my ego kept telling me, go back to management consulting, but I hated it. And my heart kept singing to me, Susan, why don't you study psychology? You always wanted to study psychology. And I'd done a business undergrad and an MBA, which were not psychology. And it was then that I decided to, actually my heart made my brain do this. My heart told my brain, uh, you work in my service, not the other way around. And I very often am reminding my clients of that to put their heart, their head in the service of their heart and not the other way around. And that's when I found mind-body psychology, also known as somatic psychology, and really learned how to listen to my own body and to make money while I was getting my PhD, I went back to Haas where I had done my MBA and worked in the career center, first with resumes and cover letters and interviewing, but then with career advising. And I would ask students, can I try out something I just learned in my psychology classes? And they would loved being my guinea pig. They thought it was fun and crazy. And so 
So let's say they were choosing between two job offers that seemed really the same. I would ask them to put one in one hand and imagine they had the other offer in the other hand and tell me how they were feeling with what they felt in their hands. And they might say, well, this one feels hot and sticky and kind of mean. And wow, why am I getting that? And they'd say the other one feels light and simple and easy and inviting. And they'd say, you know, this is actually getting to the heart of what I really feel instead of all this analytical pros and cons of joining one company or the other. And they would make these really good decisions. And they said, what did you just do to me? (laughs) I would say, I didn't do anything to you. I just invited you into an exploration that took you somewhere you don't usually go, but is always available to you, which is your body. And then they started sending, you know, husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and friends and family to me. And I hung out my own shingle in 2005. And then more recently, in addition to the career transition and reinvention work that I do with people, I started realizing that clients would ask me, could I continue working with you? Would you help me in the company that I'm joining? And I loved doing that. And I realized that those clients that continued with me were often the ones who were very attuned to their own emotions and others. And that can be a rather difficult thing in the business world because we are often un you know, it's unspoken rule, don't get emotional, be logical, you know, check your emotions at the door. And here they were being, you know, feeling their own feelings and also really picking up on other people's feelings. And that ability to be sensitive in a good way, not in a way that's a stigma, like you're so sensitive, get a thicker skin, but in in being attuned, being aware, being conscious. I really help people to hone that as a skill and to use it to their own advantage, not in a cruel way, not in a you know competing advantage, but an advantage where they're bringing more humanity to the workplace, they're bringing more of their own true gifts to the workplace, they're really listening to what's personally true and relevant for them and making that flourish um, in their place of work. So that's been really a joy to essentially teach people what I call sensational self-leadership. It's learning to lead yourself by paying attention to that sensitivity, which is really tied to sensations, what we feel in the body. You know, that tug of the heartstrings or that gut feeling, it really actually matters. And even science backs that up. So it's been a real joy to share that with people. That's a very powerful journey. Um, and what, what strikes me, Susan, is that I've read so many articles recently that talks about how emotional intelligence, when we're able to tune into our own emotions and that of these, uh, the others around us, that ability, emotional intelligence, makes up about two-thirds of our success, not the skills, not the knowledge, not the, you know, the thing that we really are employed for, but when we get to the leadership stages, if we're able to be cognizant of the emotions of the people around us and treat them as human beings with emotions, that is what helps us be successful in a career. Absolutely, absolutely. And we need it. And we also need to know, we need first and foremost to know our own, how we're doing in our own emotional sense, because that's the, that's the foundation or that's the coloring of what we're seeing in the world. And how are we doing with that? Like, am I getting annoyed really easily? Do I get angry really easily? Do I, uh, am I so overjoyed that I don't pay attention to what's really going on? You know, knowing our own emotions and then being able to tune into others 
And that's the kind of thing, you know, when we're tuned into other people, then, for example, we'll know a client's disappointed and being able to say, what else can we do for you? Or an employee who might be struggling to be able to say, what, what one simple shift could we make today to make things better? And that's the stuff that keeps the wheels humming along and actually lets us bring our best selves to what we do. Absolutely. What a difference does it make if you go to work feeling a little bit off on that day and your manager or your leader or the people around you actually notice and make our emotions feel heard. We feel heard and validated if they're able to notice what is going on for us and don't expect us to function like a machine. Yes. To me, it's about being seen and supported and being who you are in every moment. So it's not being shamed or ridiculed or overlooked, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to look away. But being able to support each other when we, when we are seen, we are validated. Research shows we bring out so much more of our gifts that we can share. But we also know that when people are in workplaces where fear or anger are ruling, we hold back. So I think it's really up to us to craft workplaces where we are able to see the, you know, and sense the emotional, um, tenor of the place, the emotional, um, you know, it's as, as though there's a mist in the place and like, what's that mist full of? What's the dominant emotion? And being able to help people to a place where we're in those higher, um, feeling states of joy and ease and peace, those kinds of things. Mm. So it's really, there's, there's a huge piece here for me about being mindful or being aware, but, you know, being conscious of people around us and what's going on for them. It's, it's not just coming to work, performing the duties, going on home. And, and wow, what's so powerful is that when people are functioning better at work and they're happier, imagine what happens to a company's bottom line. Absolutely. So, so, you know, we see it, we see that, um, companies where people are happier have better bottom lines. And, uh, we also know that when people are locked up in fear and anger in particular, they just don't feel it's safe to contribute. So they will hold back. The good news that I'm seeing is that, and I happen to be in Northern California, you know, essentially in Silicon Valley. And I get to see new companies forming who from the start are crafting their company cultures to be uh, much more about, hey, what what's going on in our culture, how it feels to be here is just as important as what we're crafting or offering in the marketplace. And we care about, you know, these companies care about their people and understand that they're not just selling widgets. It's not a commodity that what makes the difference is the people and how they treat those people has an impact, has a very definitive impact. So I'm hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful because of these kinds of companies that are evolving. So I don't know how much, for example, this is making it <laughs> across the ocean, but a company like Zappos, um, Tony Shea founded Zappos, a company that started off delivering shoes and, you know, it was like you could buy shoes online and they would be delivered to you for free. And if you didn't like them, they're shipped back for free. So it's like having the shoe store in your own home 
or workplace, wherever you have them delivered. Um, now they sell all kinds of other products, but Tony saw a lot of other company cultures before he started and founded Zappos and said, I want a workplace that people want to come to. So for example, they, they do, um, upward evaluations. And if a manager may be getting great results from his or her people, but if that manager is being nasty and treating people with disrespect, it doesn't matter what kinds of amazing stellar results they're getting. They're out because they recognize that culture matters. It's like the fluid that we're all swimming in, the soup that we're part of. And, you know, who wants to be steeped in an icky, angry, anxious kind of stew as opposed to an uplifting positive one it makes a huge difference that is very very exciting for me to hear and um it's almost like for me when i think of silicon valley it used to be this all these techy geeky sort of nerdy <laughs> that's very stereotype but um uh, you know people who sort of don't care about people it's all about just the stuff the computers you know the technology so it's incredibly exciting for me to hear that that is it's almost like it seems like the starting ground or the, the breeding ground for for something so amazing as really treating people with care. Yeah, and so Zappos actually happens to be in Las Vegas, Nevada, so not not truly in Silicon Valley, but Tony Shea got his start in Silicon Valley, and you are seeing companies um, like Facebook and Twitter showing up at conferences like Wisdom 2.0, uh, which is a great one for your listeners to pay attention to, Wisdom 2.0. So it's the wisdom and then two and then dot O, uh, zero. Um, that kind of a conference, they're showing up and talking about the mindfulness practices that they bring to work. So, for example, um, at, at Facebook, no, excuse me, Google has done this. Um, at Google, they've brought in a program called the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. And, you know, Google's all about search, but what about search inside yourself? And it's really um, teaching meditation and mindfulness in the workplace. And that's a vastly popular program. So there is more, you know, people want, it's not, it's not totally um, altruistic. People want to bring out people's best, but they realize that treating people well does that as opposed to it's more a carrot than a stick. Right. Yes, and it's quite an sort of an important distinction. It's not because we want the bottom line, but yeah, it's, there's there's a bit of an energy difference between why you're doing that. Hey, and and what's beautiful is the um, the book is also available. Search inside yourself. So people, if if people can't get to um, to do the program themselves, the book is also on Amazon. Search inside yourself. I'm busy reading it, and it's beautiful. I'm so glad you brought it up. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It, Yes, and the man who wrote it writes it in such wonderful language that anyone can understand what mindfulness is about, and he makes it especially accessible to people who may have been thinking in more of a logical, structured fashion. So he explains it with metaphors that make it really accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, Susan, it's, it's incredible stuff you've already shared with us. And um, I heard you talk about somatic psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say a few words about that? Has it got to do with the body? Um, what, what does it mean? Yeah, so somatic psychology, the word somatic, S-O-M-A-T-I-C, the base of that soma, 
refers to the body experienced from the inside. So we spend a lot of time in Western culture looking at the outside. How am I dressed? Is my hair okay? If I'm a woman, even a man, is my makeup okay? Um, we can be very outwardly, you know, looking at our outward appearance. Somatic psychology is what am I feeling on the inside? So am I tight somewhere? Am I loose somewhere? Um, what's the temperature like or what's the texture like in my body? Inside, that inner lived experience of what it's like to be in our bodies. And it lets us, so instead of being a lot of talk therapy and, you know, oh, let's go on, on and on about my mother or my father or my crazy childhood, uh, what it's actually asking us to do is to sense what we feel in our bodies when we're talking about a particular memory or a particular topic and stay with that knowing that the body holds information for us that um when we have a trauma or an insult in our life if we don't process that through meaning if we don't come to a place of peace in it with that experience rather soon then our body holds it as tension or tightness or some other way that that experience is held and in somatic psychology we have a kind of a saying the issues are in the tissues. We don't mean the, the tissues that you blow your nose with, but the, the tissues of the body. Um, and that we can, through breath and movement and posture and sensory awareness, sensing our sensations in our body, we can actually shift those memories, not necessarily in a conscious, logical way, but we can move them on. So many of us know this, for example, if you're having a hard day and you go for a run, you feel better. Some of that can be from the endorphins and, you know, the other, uh, you know, getting extra oxygen in your body and all of that feels good. But moving can actually give us a new perspective. Um, you know, if I, if I, if I change my posture, if I slump over and I let my uh, shoulders really hang and I, let my head look into my lap. I do that for a few moments. I'm going to feel very differently than if I sit up very straight with nice posture and I pull my, um, excuse me, I pull my, uh, I pull my shoulders all the way back and I look up and I gaze up above the, the horizon and I smile. I'm going to have a very different experience. So somatic psychology works under the premise that if we want to change our mind, we can change our body first. And that's easy and it's, you know, it's something they can do in any moment. And I actually teach a lot of those body-centered tools to my clients. I'm working with a group right now. Uh, I have a sensational shift three-month leadership program that I'm running right now. And many of my participants are saying one of their favorite tools is a super, super simple one. And if you wake up in the morning and you're like, God, I think I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, that feeling of, oh, I'm having a tough day from the start, just look up. So, you know, leave your head level, but look up with your eyes towards the ceiling and do that for a minute or two. It can change your outlook. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's like, wait, that's free. I didn't have to pay anybody. I didn't have to pop a pill. I didn't have to you know, get somebody else to do it for me. I'm doing this myself. And I have, you know, it's like our body is so wise, but mostly we don't get to learn those things. But what if we were, what if we were learning those from the time we were a kid? How strong and resilient and confident we'd be as adults. So I'm sharing that with adults 
um, to help them be their best in the workplace. Oh, that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that incredibly wonderful tip. So our days don't have to be bad from the start and end bad as well. If the minute we start feeling, oof, this is not a good day, we can actually use something as simple as lifting the eyes up to the ceiling and doing that for a minute or so. And isn't it interesting how it's tied to the eyes and it can help us change our outlook. So even the words sort of tell us that there's intelligence in, in the body. Yes, the body speaks in metaphor, right? So, you know, if I if I want to stand up for myself, if I stand in a posture, and this one there's some good research on, there's research on all of these, but there's some really good research from Amy Cuddy at Harvard, um, that if you stand with your arms akimbo, so your, your fists uh, or your hands on your hips, sorry about that, I've got to turn my, my notifications off, um, you stand with your hands on your hips, you will, uh, and you do that for two minutes or so, that's called the power, she calls it the power pose, you can feel powerful. So how beautiful is it that we can do these things for ourselves and make those what I call sensational shifts in very little time um, and feel differently? So yeah, our body is speaking in metaphors like stand up for yourself, step up. I and mean, sometimes I will take clients if I'm working with them in person and take them somewhere with stairs and like take the next step up and they'll feel more triumphant. Like what, what just happened? <laughs> and it's a tiny movement, but our brains and our bodies are so deeply tied. That's very, very powerful. And yes, you're right. Usually, well, we are taught actually from an early age that the, the, the wisdom or, well, we call it wisdom, or, but the, the, the sort of knowledge and everything is in the brain. You know, we need to think logically. And like you said earlier on, do the, um, the tick for this one, to not a tick for that one. So the pros and cons of each thing, but the, there's really such wisdom in the body and how it talks to us. So I'm wondering, um, if there are things that you can share with us around the wisdom of the body and how we can maybe use the body and the sensations when we are going through a phase of transition, um, how to make that maybe easier for us? Yeah. Um, I want to say that the easiest tool, and it's the one that I believe, and many, many um, traditions teach this, that connects us to our spirit is our heart. Um, there has been a lot of research around the heart, um, including the place that I told you I went after um, passing out at work when I went to the Institute for Heart Math. One of the things, there have been two very interesting findings, many findings that they have, but two that interest me. One is that when we have an intuition, the heart registers it before the head. I think that's fascinating. Um, they, they're able to show that, you know, something intuitive, there's changes in the heart that show up before changes in the brain. So they hypothesize that the heart is feeling things or getting the information before the head. And then also that when we're in tune with our heart and our heart rhythms, we entrain or we fall into patterns um, that can create more harmony and resilience for us. So the easiest thing I know when somebody's in a transition as I'll ask them to put their two hands um, over their heart center. So not actually the heart, you know, is more on, on the left of the body, um, but, but directly over the heart center, which is really rather at the sternum, right? And just let their hands be there lightly and ask them to ask themselves, 
from a first gen from a general place, just breathe and breathe deeply. Um, when we breathe shallow, we just don't get as much oxygen to the brain and it's harder to think clearly. So I may have somebody spend a few moments breathing really slow and deep. <sighs> and then settle into the heart and ask the heart for its wisdom. So asking a really simple question like, not what should I do with the whole rest of my life? That's huge and enormous. But like, how could I spend today productively? Or what one nice thing would I like to do for myself today? Starting with some basic listening to the heart um, and then graduating to listening to the heart for deeper things. But even just putting hands on heart is usually so relaxing and soothing to people that I'm working with. And nobody has to know you're doing it. You know, people put their hands in, you know, it's not an embarrassing place or anything to put your hands in front of other people, you know, even if you're in front of other people. Um, so I start there. I mean, there are a lot of other things that I do, but I don't want to overwhelm everybody today with all kinds of tools and processes. It's such a simple one. And it's one that makes such a big difference. And it's, it's easy. It's like, I want to be in touch with my heart and learning to listen. And listening could be for some people, when we listen to our heart, we get imagery. I mean, we get pictures in our head. For other people, they get words. I happen to get words. I'm much more auditory. For some people, they just get a feeling or a sense. So trust whatever you do get. It doesn't have to be in a particular way. And it's not about forcing your heart. Come on, tell me something. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to get great results. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's treating yourself the way you'd like to be treated and just asking and being patient and allowing whatever wisdom is inside you to just bubble up for you. That is beautiful. And I have done that exercise a couple times. I tend to forget. It's like everything. We tend to forget we have these simple tools at our fingertips. But it's one of the most relaxing things to do is just to sit and breathe, hands on the heart. And I even read, and maybe you can um, confirm it for me, that it actually releases oxytocin, which is sort of the hormone of connection, helping mm -hmm. us to feel connected to the world and people around us. Just that simple action. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it has so many benefits and it is so simple. So, you know, one of the things you can do is set a reminder, let's say on your phone or on your computer to do that and build it as a habit, just building it as a habit, you know, not, not beating yourself up if you don't do it, but saying, Oh, and I encourage people, I always encourage people to practice when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it's there for you. Oh, yes, that is beautiful. So because in stress situations, we often go back to default patterns. So if we build up some new default patterns while we're not stressed, it's so much easier to find them. Yes. Um, Susan, do you advise people when they're uncertain or worried during the, their transitions about particular things they can do? We've, we've talked about so much already that's very, very helpful. Are there other things that you advise or guide? Yeah, there's a lot of them, but I think a couple of things that I'll share. One is I encourage people, especially if they're overwhelmed, they have a lot on their mind, they're trying so many things. I encourage people to, um, instead of trying to figure it out, to feel it out. So if they're finding themselves spinning with a lot of options, what I'll encourage them to do is first just write them down, get them out of your brain and onto paper. 
the simple act of doing that can be very organizing for people. So I first suggest just getting it down, um, get that stuff out of your brain and then asking yourself some kind of a question where you can listen into your body. So it might be a, what do I want or what do you want in this moment? And learning to ask that. Um, I'm also a, a big believer in writing down, uh, noticing the beliefs that we're holding. You know, like if somebody says, I'll never get another job. Um, or I, you know, I lost that last job. Now I'm a, you know, a no good for nothing. Um, so I tell people, first of all, don't believe everything you think. Um, mm. Not everything you think is good and positive for you. And we do, we internalize a lot of voices that aren't our own, our parents, our friends, society, our boss, um, you know, people who aren't us and nobody else can live this, your life for you, but you. And so I encourage people to write down the, the things that they're saying to themselves, the beliefs. And if they're negative things like, you know, I'll never get another job, then to counter that, to say, Oh, I might get a job in a month or, I've always landed on my feet or something that counters that so that from a yogic perspective, I like to look at it. Yoga talks that we have three minds. We have the negative mind, the positive mind and the neutral mind. The negative mind comes on first on board first when we're little, you know, mama goes away and like, Oh my God, am I going to be able to eat? Um, right. We may not know that consciously, but we build negative mind. Negative mind looks for the bad things. It protects us. I mean, it has a good, a good feature for it. But taken too far, it will make us worry and fret. Um, so if we're going to have that negative mind, we want to balance it with the positive mind. What's good? What's wonderful? What's possible? Now, that positive mind taken too far can take us into fantasy, where we have these grandiose ideas that we could never live into. So where we really need to be is in the middle, in the neutral mind which is a balance of negative and positive. So I tell people when they're in transition, they very often are so frightened that they're very much in negative mind. So I ask them to balance that to positive. And that starts tuning them and to say, wait, 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 I don't have to believe everything that my mind says. And I can start to train my own mind. And that is in itself its own form of mindfulness. You know, that I, I believe in many, many things in the yogic tradition that I come from, kundalini yoga, says that the greatest thing for us to do in life is to learn to tame our own minds, to make the mind the servant and not the master, and to really let our heart be the master and let the mind serve that the heart rather than the other way around. Mm. Oh, my word. These are all such incredibly helpful and valuable tips. Wow. We're going to have lots of notes on your show notes page. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Fantastic. So I'd love to ask you if there's, um, if there's some work that you'd love to share with our listeners, um, your website and how they can get in contact with you or if you're running any special programs. Yeah. So, um, probably the best is to get in touch with me, especially depending on when people, people, you know, will listen to this recording all kinds of different times. So I think the best thing I can share is my website which is www.sensationalshift.com. Again, sensationalshift.com. Um, I'm not running anything right now. If people want to come to the U.S. in uh, in February, I'm running, I'm teaching at the Esalen Institute. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous 
personal growth retreat center on the Pacific Ocean on the coast and the hot tubs are right on the ocean. Um, it's a weekend workshop called Crafting Careers That Truly Fit, How to Work From Within. Very experiential career transition workshop where we move and we do art type things and we really, we listen to ourselves in ways that we don't usually listen to ourselves. And it's a very rich workshop. Um, and other than that, I'm always doing all kinds of, I'm, I'm in a big experimentation phase right now. So I'd say my, my website is the best place to find out what's going on. And certainly I've got a blog that really helps people around, people around work. So I would love people to check out sensationalshift.com and see what's up. Beautiful. Oh, that workshop sounds absolutely fabulous. And yes, please do our listeners go and look at uh, Susan's website. It sounds very, very valuable, full of articles and things that can help us all with our careers. Susan, it's been wonderful. Um, are there any last thoughts of inspiration or wisdom? One tip you've shared so much, so if nothing comes oh. to mind, that's also fine. I'll just share with you my favorite thing about, uh, my, my one of my favorite phrases about the work that I get to do with people, and that is, if you want a sensational life, pay attention to your sensations. They really do. They really can guide you. So that's my, my wisdom. Thank you, Liesl, for letting me share that. Oh, that is a magnificent one. I just love it. And we'll make a, a quote a sort of image for you with you and your, your beautiful um, words. So oh, we'll pick you. it up from the recording. That's awesome. Susan, it's been a magnificent pleasure. You shared so much and so freely and such wonderful information. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Likewise. Thank you. It's such a joy. Thank you for giving me the space and the time and the connection across ocean uh, to, to share this with you and with your listeners. It's such a total joy. Thank you so much. And yes, I echo, Susan, thank you to our listeners for joining us today. And if you want to hear more words about, uh, more words of wisdom about making a career change mindfully, go to either Susan's website, um, sensationalshift.com. You can also go to my website, savvyselfgrowth.com, for articles and other interviews. And of course, the show notes of uh, Susan's episode. And remember that a fulfilling career is a journey that involves the wisdom of your heart, like Susan mentioned today. And it may take a little time to search inside and find what really, really is calling to you. But the rewards are so incredible and worth it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For other inspiring guests and articles on career change and the notes of today's show, be sure to visit SavvySelfGrowth.com. Download your free gift while you're there. Thank you for sharing this show with a friend. Remember, a mindful career transition is a journey that involves the wisdom of the heart.